Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome into another edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And for today's episode, it's a Wednesday. And if you're new to this podcast, that means it is a mailbag Wednesday. And by that, we mean we ask you guys to use the hashtag Ots and Audibles on social media or tweet at Eric Scopel for your questions that you want answered on this podcast. And we take the best ones every week. And every Wednesday, we give you our answers, our, our opinions. Um, we get a wide range of topics. It, it's football, it's basketball, it's recruiting, it's women's basketball, it's everything Oregon Duck related. And we wrap it all up into one episode. And it's your episode that you, the consumer, the listener, decides where the direction of the show goes to an extent. Um, before we get into today's questions, we've got six really good ones. I want to remind you guys you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter. Or you could save some big bucks by going an annual membership and paying $75.18. That comes out to over a $3 savings per month when you compare it to the month-to-month price. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, access to Oregon Duck insiders like Eric, Kevin, myself, and you get exclusive recruiting coverage all on duckterritory.com. So $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter, or you can go the annual route, $6.26 a month when you're billed one time of $75.18. All right, Eric, we've got six questions. Let's crank out the first three, and then we'll take a break and go to the next three. All right, we're going to start from at Drew Goley. Who is the one recruit that Oregon has missed out on in football or men's basketball since you two have been covering the program that could have really changed a season or two? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Uh, I like this question a lot. Yeah, this is uh, awesome. It's going to be a fun one and, and maybe one we'll have to think about further down the road. But uh, the first couple of names that came to mind here was I was thinking about this last season. Maybe this is just recency bias. But in the 2018 recruiting cycle, Oregon had five pretty highly regarded wide receiver recruits decommit. Obviously, this is regard, you know regarding the Willie Taggart departure to Florida State. Uh, obviously, to keep these players, you're assuming maybe Taggart doesn't go. But let, let's just say for the sake of this, that these players stuck with that commitment. I think a Warren Thompson or a Treshawn Harrison could have been a difference maker in that Auburn game. You think about the depth issues Oregon had in that game. You think about the 
lack of wide receiver options they had in that second half. Receivers just couldn't seem to get open for Justin Herbert, and Oregon ends up blowing a lead that maybe they don't blow had they had more wide receiver options. And, and I think in the big picture of last season, if Oregon wins that game, um, the whole season might go a little bit differently. Um, they might still lose to Arizona State at the end of the season. Who knows? But I think that one feels like one that's particularly uh, season-altering. In terms of like big picture, a couple of names that popped off the top of my head. I know I'll turn it over to Matt because I know he has some. But uh, Tua Tagovailoa, you just think about how things would be different if he was at Oregon instead of uh, Justin Herbert or maybe how that would have changed things. And then another quarterback battle that Oregon could have had would have been Johnny Manziel and Marcus Mariota way back when. I think you think about how that might have changed things if those two, I guess, twosomes had been quarterbacks at Oregon at the same time. Who wins those starting jobs? How does that impact the future of the program? I think those are kind of, to me, two kind of big cornerstone moments. And then another one that popped out was Buda Baker was a commit Oregon had in, in 2014, uh, a highly regarded player uh, that ended up at Washington, a, a highly regarded defensive back in particular. And you look at those Oregon teams for the next couple of years, and I think the defensive backfield was one of the bigger weaknesses on those teams. If you'd had a player like Baker, I don't know if that means you're not going to lose eight games that one season and means that you're going to win seven games the next, but uh, it could be a thing that, that alters some of that a little bit. Um, so those are some names that ju- that uh, jumped out to me uh, when I was looking through this question. Matt, any men's basketball players in particular, and what about a couple of football players that, that you also thought of that, that might have changed a couple seasons? I love this question. And yeah, me too. I, I, I propose that we go super in-depth on some what-ifs scenarios later on in, in the week or next week for this, because I, 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 I think there's a ton of what-ifs you know, could have happened. Um, I kind of nerded out and went really deep into this. So I've got a ton of content from a football perspective. I think, I think Tua is like the first one you think of back in 2017, right? Like what happened? He wanted to go to Oregon. Hellfridge never offered him when he was a head coach in 2016. And then when he got fired, really Tiger tried, but it was pointless at the time. Does that really change the, trajectory though of of Oregon football you know with Herbert being on the roster already I don't I don't believe it really does maybe Tua is the quarterback next season in 2020 as a redshirt junior and the expectation is is he's going to be a star for Oregon but do we really know that I think some some guys to go back would be five-star receiver Jalen Waddle in 2018 what if Oregon I mean Oregon flirted with Waddle forever and tried was really close to getting him on campus for an official visit, I believe, and things were progressing, and then all of a sudden, you know, Taggart departure hurt Oregon and wide variety of reasons. And you know, you could I I thought about including like a Warren Thompson or a Treshawn Harrison or a Raiden Lindsay or a Chase Coda from that class, but none of those guys really have, have shown up and dominated. Michael Ezeki, um none of them have, have have had huge impacts at their schools. Jalen Waddle has. He's one of the best receivers in the country. He's going to be one of the best receivers in 2020 for, for Alabama this coming season, and then he'll go off to the NFL. What would his impact been at been like if Oregon could have paired him for a year with Dylan Mitchell in 2018? as a true freshman, and in this past season in 2019, Waddle was kind of 
your de facto star player at the receiver position. You still have Micah Pittman. You still have Juwan Johnson. You still have Johnny Johnson. You still have Jalen Red. Uh, all of a sudden, your receiving core has upgraded significantly. Um, yeah. Christian Kirk, if you want to go back a couple years, I believe in 2015, a five-star receiver out of Arizona was really close. And, and maybe a sneaky one is Isaiah Hodgins in 2017 at receiver as well, played for the Beavers. You know, Oregon Offred didn't really pursue him very heavily. For whatever reason, Helfrich just wasn't sold. Maybe they over overthought their position and thought they could swoop in late and get him. Um, but that that never transpired. Where would Oregon have been been at the last couple of seasons with a, a playmaker at receiver like Hodgins? Uh, I, I think there's a ton at fo- with the football team. And from a basketball standpoint, um, Aaron Gordon, 2013. I mean, think of this this roster you could have had for Oregon basketball in 2013. Gordon picked Arizona over Oregon. Uh, your starting lineup would have been Gordon at the center position, Mike Moser at the power forward position. You have Joseph Young. You have Dominic Artis. You have Damian Dotson. You have Elgin Cook. You have Jason Calise. You have Jonathan Lloyd on this team. Um, stacked. I, I, I think... You you have that starting lineup of Aaron Gordon, Mike Moser, Damian Dotson, Joseph Young, and Jonathan Lloyd, Dominic Artis, you know, back and forth with Khalees and Elgin Cook coming off the bench. That, that that's a team, boy. That that could have that could have been a Final Four caliber team. Um, I go back to the obvious one in 2015 of Jamal Murray. Had he signed with Oregon instead of going with Kentucky? which was a huge shock when it happened, when he committed to Kentucky. Everyone had him pegged for Oregon. Oregon in 2015, 2016, the year they went to the Elite Eight, would have had Jamal Murray, Tyler Dorsey, Casey Benson act as their guards. Their wings would have been Elgin Cook, Dylan Brooks, uh, Dwayne Benjamin. And then at forward center, they would have had Chris Boucher and Jordan Bell um, again. A, a, a team, like I, you honestly are, are sitting there thinking they are probably national championship caliber good uh, in, in that in that season. 2017, the year after they make the Final Four, um, or sorry, I guess I should say the 2018 season, um, Brandon McCoy, what happens if if he shows up? I mean, Kenny Wooten doesn't have to start at center right away. Maybe he does, and and maybe they go McCoy and Wooten together. Um, I I really think that team would have been they would have had an inside presence, and teams wouldn't have been able to to basically force Oregon to shoot three pointers because wide open threes because they 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 would have to focus so much internally. On stopping Brandon McCoy in the inside, it would have been, you know, basically four on three basketball for Oregon outside of Brandon McCoy. So those are just a couple. Um, you, you could throw out a bunch of other names and I think maybe the two, I didn't include this because I'm going to save this. This, mm. this is going to be a teaser. There's two guys that I didn't include that early on for Oregon basketball, had they gone to the Ducks, like many originally thought, you know, early on in their recruitments. Oregon basketball could have made the Final Four in Dan Altman's second or third year of, 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 of his time. 
Matt, I co-signed the idea of let's maybe it's not this week, but maybe it's the week after or later where we pick this up and do maybe a full podcast or a full 20 minute segment on this. Cause I'm with you. I think there's so much potential to just look through all of these close recruiting misses. And I think that's the thing that's, that makes recruiting so valuable. And maybe sometimes people overlook it, it's like, especially with, with basketball and, and, and football with maybe the quarterback position or the wide receiver position, those positions that are so valuable offensively, you can miss on one guy and it can really impact a season or two. And, and I think that right, the original question is, is right. I mean, there are, there are, especially with basketball, some of those names. Yeah. If, if a Gordon or a Murray ends up on a couple of those teams, maybe Oregon already has Dan Altman's first national championship hanging from the Raptors. We don't know. Um, but yeah, let's pick this one up uh, at a later date. I'm sure the listeners are agreeing. This is a, a really good question. So thank you at Drew Goalie for sending that our way. Second question from at N Bofto. Matt, can you explain the new men's basketball schedule this year? The Ducks play two conference games in early December. Why is that? And will they play the other schools, USC and Washington State, on those same weekends? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Yeah, so if... if Obviously, um, this question, uh, which was sent in, I, I'm not exactly sure what your name is, but we'll just call you N Bafoto. Um, I think it's Nate Bafto. Was based on, based Nate Bafto? Okay. Yeah, Obviously, Nate. Nate was not aware of the um, decision to move to a 20-game conference season. So basically, they are eliminating two non-conference games. So 12 or 13, there's a way you can get the 13 non-conference games. Oregon typically does that every year. So Oregon will now be playing 11 conference games. Most of college basketball, we will be playing 11 or 10 conference games now. I think the ACC is doing this. The Big Ten is doing this. The Pac-12 is doing this. I don't know if the Big 12 and the ACC next season are doing it. I can't remember. But a lot of schools are... Are, are struggling to we're, – we're seeing lots of, like, fewer and fewer marquee big-game non-conference matchups, home-and-home, home too. It's hurting the visibility of the sport. It's hurting uh, attendance because fans, they want to see good games. And in college basketball, you know, there's so many. You know, when, when you play the directional schools so often, you know, people lose interest. And so college basketball across the country, they are – trying to figure out ways to, A, make the regular season better. And by doing that, it's making teams play more meaningful conference games that have bigger impacts on postseason than, than non-conference games. And for the Pac-12, they're moving to a 20-game non, uh, game conference season. And the games that you're referencing, Oregon will be playing up in Seattle against the Huskies in early December, and they will also be playing a home game in early December, right around the same period, against UCLA, those are the two games that they're playing. So they will not be going to Washington State. They will not be going, and they will not be playing USC at home. They will travel to UCLA for a road game. They will travel to to USC for a road game. They will host Washington, and they will host Washington State for home games, but they're only traveling to Washington, and they're only playing UCLA at home. And it's that way across the entire Pac-12. So Arizona, I don't know who they're – Two extra games are off the top of my head. But Arizona will be playing, let's just say, a home game against Utah, and then they will be traveling and playing against Stanford on the road one time. It's a one-off game. You only play Stanford once for Oregon's reasoning. They're only playing uh, the Huskies 
one time, or they're playing the Huskies twice. They're only playing Washington State, though, once, and it's a home game in the 2020 season. It's a way to strengthen your schedule. It's a way to uh, provide another marquee game on your home schedule to entice your fans to come out. Uh, and it's an early kind of test to see where you are at going into the second to last month of non-conference play. And, oh, by the way, it's only going to help your strength of schedule because you're playing tougher teams. Yeah, I was going to ask, Matt, just to follow up on this. You seem pretty enthusiastic about it for Oregon and for what it can help the Pac-12. Obviously, um, the conference has struggled, not this last season as much, but in the past with kind of building a non-conference schedule that that allows them to get a lot of teams into the tournament and, and get good seeds there. Do you think this is going to help accomplish that more? Or, like, what are the overlying benefits, do you think, for the conference in Oregon? Um, and maybe what are, are there any concerns you have about how this might sort of change the scheduling aspect and maybe the the way that that selection committee looks at the conference? Yeah, I, I think um, I think this is good for the on the surface. I think it's going to depend upon a team by team, year by year basis. Like Dana Altman during the 2019-2020 season loaded up the non conference schedule with difficult games. He's doing that again for the 2020-2021 season. And so I, I think if if a school takes the approach of well we're playing 20 non we're playing 20 conference games, we're only going to play one or two, maybe three really good non-conference games now and play eight, nine, ten gimme wins and in, in non-con, I, then I, I think this is it doesn't do anything for me. But if you continue to schedule really difficult like Oregon's doing for the upcoming 2020-2021 season and adding these non-conference, these conference games, uh, these two additional conference games for the non-conference slate, um, I, I think it's a win-win because, I mean, let's just look at it this way. Oregon plays at Washington. That's a, a top 50 win potentially in the books for them. They host UCLA and that's another potential top 50 win for them. Those are quad one games and it, that normally would go to teams more likely that to be not quad one. Uh, and it, it, it does stress the importance though. You have to have the rest of the conference schedule difficult non-conference games out of their 10 or 11 remaining games that are left. Because if, if you don't schedule hard and the PAC 12 has initiated a, a policy where they have to have a certain amount of uh, top 100 or top like I think 200 opponents in the RPI and their in their non-conference schedule. If if but if you don't schedule difficult and and you don't and, and you don't challenge yourself, you're hurting the, the the dynamic of your own conference because you're eliminating two more opportunities to to get wins. And it's all about stacking up as many impressive resume building non-conference wins as you can so that when you hit conference play, you're playing. That's why the big 10 always sends all these teams to the NCAA tournament because they schedule difficult games. And then once they get into conference play, it's like almost every game is, is a top 100 versus a top 100 team, which quantifies as a quad one or a quad two win. And those are the most important victories that you need to, to get to the NCAA tournament. So the big 10 has schemed it where, like 10 out of their 14 teams every year are in the earn the top 100 because they challenge themselves outside of the conference. So I love it if the rest of the conference along with Oregon 
continues to schedule difficult non-conference games as well and, and doesn't doesn't use this as a reason to to drop difficult you know to drop their not their difficult non-conference games. All right, let's get the last question before we head to break here from at Peter Oliver three, and we've discussed this a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about it some more. Is the recruiting situation a concern? How do we account for the drop off? Williams question mark the virus not allowing visits, staff changes, um, and I know we've addressed this a couple of times and. We should say, I think last time we addressed this, Oregon picked up a verbal commitment like four hours later. So maybe us talking about it will lead to some more positivity. And sure. maybe that's Peter's thinking here. Maybe we talk about how, oh, the recruiting hasn't been going great, and then Oregon's going to land like a couple of four stars And by the time you're listening to this. But um, what, of the things he listed, the, the loss of Dante Williams, the COVID-19 impacts in terms of on-campus visits and basically all in-person recruiting and then the staff changes, the addition of Rod Chance, the addition of Joe Moorhead. What is your take? Are any of those things really ring true as being the main culprit? Is it a combination? Kind of how do you perceive all that, Matt? Um, well, first and foremost, I don't think there's concern right now for, for Oregon football. I mean, look at the scholarship chart and they only have like 14 15 seniors or guys that you feel like are are definitely going pro after this coming season early. So they've only got 14 or 15 spots right now. Now, I, I fully believe that Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff are taking the approach of signing 20 or more players up to 25 like they, that they can every year because a roster attrition will happen. But you just can't take every single verbal commitment left and right just because – Eventually you'll fill up and you don't want to have the negative PR that comes with telling a guy, sorry, we don't, we can't honor your scholarship anymore. You can't come here. Um, so they're being very selective. And I, I think I've said this before, but not all recruiting classes are treated equal. And you look at the top 25 recruiting rankings in the class of 2021. Okay. Ohio State is number one. They have 17 verbal commitments. They have three five star recruits. The Tennessee volunteers are on fire on the recruiting show right now. They have 18 verbal commitments. They've landed like eight or nine players in the last 10 days. Okay. They too have two five-star recruits. You would naturally think, okay, these two schools are neck and neck. They're not. There is like a, a 63 point difference between Ohio State and Tennessee. And the reason because of that is Ohio State is on a tear like Clemson was last season. They have three five stars. They have four, they have 11 four star commits and they only have three players that are committed to their program that are three star recruits. Tennessee is the inverse. They have some top talent. They have two five stars. No doubt about it. No one's doubting that, but they only have four out of their 18 commits are four star recruits and 12. So over two, two thirds of their commit list are three star players. And their average ranking is 89.21 points. Ohio State's is 95.33. And so, yeah, Tennessee is killing it on the recruiting trail. A school like Iowa is is in the top 10, and they're killing it on the recruiting trail. Miami, the same thing. Minnesota, you know, Maryland, Rutgers, uh, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia, Baylor. I mean, these schools, Iowa State, these schools, Michigan State, are all ahead of Oregon. But all of them have drastically lower recruiting scores 
because or average ranking per recruit score because they're they're taking quantity over quality right now. And that sounds harsh, but look at let's just real quick, I'll I'll pick I'll pick Minnesota. The Gophers are ninth in the country. They have 14 verbal commitments. They have 80, their, their average ranking per recruit per commit is 87.59. Okay. Oregon's class has six commits. They're 24th in the country. Their average ranking is 92.25. It's significantly better than, than a team that's ranked currently in the top 10. Significantly better. It's, it's better than Iowa. It's better than Miami. It's better than Florida. It's better than North Carolina, Tennessee. These are all teams that are in the top 10. And so are, how do you, how do you define concern? Are you concerned that Oregon only has six verbal commitments in this class? Sure. I argue, go ahead and argue that because in previous seasons, they've had way more than that, than six at this point in the year. But you can also argue that COVID-19 has, has had an impact back on that. You can argue that guys can't visit schools and they can't make visits. And Oregon was supposed to have a huge recruiting weekend built around the spring game in mid-April that potentially could have led to a couple more verbal commitments in this class that we've seen in the last three seasons. Um, but are, is Oregon struggling to land big fish? No, because they are. They're, they're landing quality players. It's just right now, they can't get guys on campus that normally would have been on campus already or, or should be coming in the next couple of days to weeks. And some of those guys probably would have committed. And now Oregon's just in a holding pattern waiting to get them on campus. All right. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Austin awesome Audible's podcast. I'm at Pre-America School is with me as always. Three questions into the mailbag, three more to go. I'm realizing this is a very heavy recruiting show because I just looked up and realized it's going to be recruiting for the rest of the way here, folks. So <laughs> strap in if that's not your thing. We'll make it your thing. Uh, fourth question from at Crystal Orndorff. Does Oregon have a legit shot at any players in the top 100 of the 247 composite rankings? 
Crystal does not specify if it's football or basketball, but we're going to assume it's football for this podcast. Matt, I know we've run through a lot of these top names. I know we did some of this on Monday as well uh, when we talked about defensive players that Oregon was high on. You just want to run through a couple of guys that you think Oregon has a legit well, shot at? Well, I mean, they're in the top. They're in the top group for three of the eight best players in the country. Where's um, start? That's a that's a good start. Uh, Corey Foreman, JT Tuumalu, and Emeka Obuka. Um, Oregon's probably not the leader for any three of those guys, but they're in the discussion right now, and they'll probably land a, official visits from all three of them. And I'm a big component of saying that as long as Oregon gets a guy on campus for an official visit, they're going to be in the mix till the very end. Troy Franklin is the 34th best player in the country, receiver, probably the most likely player to commit to Oregon if you want to just go chronologically of highest rated recruit and most likely rated player to commit to Oregon, and he fills a need. He's a four-star receiver, big play player, can do a lot for Oregon's offense, um, I, I would say the Ducks are in a really, really, really good spot there. Um, next closest guy is probably Dante Thornton, another four-star receiver, uh, the seventh best receiver in the country, a top 50 prospect. So right then and there, those are probably your two most likely guys. Um, but if you want to go down the list, you know, there's Kingsley Suamatia, an offensive tackle. He's in the top 100 that I think Oregon is highly likely to land. Uh, very looks up to Panay Sewell immensely. His high school teammates with Noah Sewell uh, will be a player for Oregon without a doubt. Sierra Wright is a four-star cornerback. He's in the 80s, top 10 in his position at the cornerback spot. Oregon will get a, a visit there. They're very much in the play there. Bram Walden, another four-star offensive lineman and offensive tackle uh, from Zagaro High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Another top 80, you know, range player in the country favoring Oregon and, and them and the Ducks right now. They've got Seven McGee, who's currently committed. He's 93rd in the country. Um, he's the running back. You've also got, you know, Ethan Calvert, uh, an, af- an inside linebacker. You know, the Oregon, the Ducks are probably not the favorite there, but they're going to get an official visit from him. Um, so there's, there's plenty of names out there. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that are just outside the top 100 that are really high on Oregon as well. So um, all it takes is landing two or three of these guys, and next thing you know, you're in that top 10 status. Yeah, and I think to answer your question, Crystal, yeah, I think Oregon has a chance that some of these top 100 uh, commits. Good stuff for Matt there, recapping that. Our next question from at Miha97477. Coach Graves already has some commitments in the 2021 class and is waiting till later to make the announcement. Do you think really? Coach Cristobal has something? Yeah, I was going to say, thanks for breaking the news on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to try to confirm or deny that on the podcast. Uh, do you think Coach Cristobal has some silent commits in order to make a big splash later in the cycle? Thanks, Mike. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you, Mike, for the question, and thank you for on the podcast breaking some women's basketball recruiting news. Um, and I'm not again, I'm not going to specify that or communicate whether or not I've heard such things. But Matt, uh, what do you think about this possibility of stashing commitments and having them com- announced later? To me, that maybe doesn't always make much sense. But is that something you think could be taking place right now? Um, I I think there certainly is a group of players out there that are kind of in that teetering close to committing stage. And maybe Oregon is saying, hey, let's try and get these guys all on campus around the same time. 
when campus opens up and see if we can get two or three, four or five of them to, to commit in a two week window. Um, right. or I'll do it at the same time. I, I, I think that's kind of the, that is a very popular tactic in football now. We've seen it happen at Oregon under Blue Taggart. We've seen it happen under Mark Helfrich. We've seen it happen now with Mario Cristobal the last two years. Um, we've seen it with Tennessee. I you know, mentioned how they've landed like eight commitments in nine days. You know, that's all kind of planned, but it doesn't, it doesn't just formulate where on April 15th, the coaching staff says, Hey, on April 20th, let's, for the next 10 days, let's have these guys all commit verbally, publicly, you know, one after another. It, it, it takes longer and it, it has to jive with this guy's going to commit and then maybe, you know, they, they, they send out a, a message to, to their other recruits at that position saying, Hey, we're going to have a guy that's committing to us publicly in, in a day or two. He's already done it privately. He's waiting on some edits to be created. Just want to let you guys all know that we only have three spots and we now have two verbal commitments. And if any of you want to secure that spot, you're going to have to let us know, you know, whoever gets it first, you know, gets it. And that could spur another guy verbally committing who's really close with someone else that plays a different position and is seriously looking at that school and then says, you know what, like I was kind of already sold on Oregon and if you're going to do it for, for not this time for Oregon, I'm ready to do it as well. I'll join in on you. And, and then all of a sudden the coaches, you know, start piecing these things together and it's okay. Now we can kind of create some, some momentum and, and space these out a little bit if, if that's how they want it. But it's not, I don't think it's, it's ever a, Hey, we're going to hold on to a commitment for two or three months to wait to announce it. Um, you, you want to get these commitments in and made public because the longer you wait and, you know, the more attention that they could get from other schools, uh, being, Oh, wow, this guy's available. Let's go after him. And maybe they change his mind. All right. Final question here from at big love, Kevin. And my reading comprehension is being challenged here because I'm having a little bit of a hard time here. So we'll try to parse through it, but he says, I have two and he gives us a smiley face. Thanks, Kevin, for the smile. Uh, top three to four star recruits you are excited about for the Ducks and maybe how you guys see our recruiting change or go now with our new coaches coming in. Um, the first part of that question, top three, four star recruits, uh, I'm going to choose to make that maybe commitments and signees for 2020 to make that a little bit more easy to digest and understand. So for me, I know we, we've done this a little bit on Monday in terms of the defense, some guys that are maybe a little lesser regarded that we're excited about. But let me a couple of offensive players, and I'm just going to stick with um, three-star recruits because they're the four-star guys are, are players that you're, you're probably pretty aware of. But I, I've always thought Trey Benson, and I don't know if this is going to be immediate, but I, I when he came up and he was at SNL last year, physically he has a build that is not similar to many players Oregon um, currently has on the roster, certainly, and, and really has had for the last couple of years. You think about kind of the size and style of the running backs Oregon has, has really had some success with, um, especially recently. Royce Freeman obviously being the, the clear, uh, I guess, different player from those guys. I, I think Benson can be a bit of a difference maker. And, again, I don't think it's immediately – I don't think he enters and suddenly beats out a C.J. Verdell or, or even jumps to be a top two or three running back on the roster. I mean, there's there are – Highly regarded players on this roster. So, but I think Benson ultimately, you know, maybe he redshirts in 2020, but down the line, I think he's someone who can certainly develop into uh, an exciting running back at Oregon and maybe a guy who starts and is kind of a bell cow back for a couple of years once CJ Verdell 
um, takes off and, and some of these other upperclassmen do as well. I, I really have always liked Jalen Jeffers, uh, just the frame at six foot six. He's long. Um, I, I think he's somebody who, like Benson, probably isn't going to make much of an impact right away. I think Jeffers, with his body type, and, and who knows how his offseason has gone. Um, maybe he's put on some weight and filled out a little bit, but he's pretty lean right now. I think he'll need some time to develop. But I look at him and say, maybe that could be somebody who replaces Penny Sewell at left tackle um, You know, in the 2021 season if we're assuming Sewell goes early, which I think based upon the mock drafts and all the big boards we've seen over the last couple of weeks indicates he probably will. Um, and Marcus Harper's another one. I mean, I think this offensive line group, there's three three-star recruits. Um, Harper could be another one of those guys in the interior. And once again, we've talked about all of the moves, moving parts um, that the Ducks are going to have up front. Uh, I think Harper down the line, probably not immediately again, could be somebody who really contends for a starting spot inside because those are going to be jobs that are, are I think, going to remain open down the line here. So, And, and I guess if we're talking about players who are already enrolled um, in this 2020 cycle, uh, I've always been excited by the two junior college transfers, Bennett Williams and TJ Bass. Bass, in particular, has a chance, I think, to start right away. Williams, I think, will have a chance to start once some of these senior safeties graduate. Maybe he will push his way into it now. Um, Matt, any other three- or four-star guys that, that you really stand out to you? And then I guess I'll turn the second part of the question over to you about uh, how you think the recruiting could change with some of these new assistant coaching um, hires? I like Marcelo Fisi at defensive tackle. Um, he's gotten a lot bigger too, six foot five. He's like two eighty, two ninety now supposedly, um, opposed to his like two sixty playing weight as a junior. Um, defensive tackle. I think he bumped himself up to a four star with us, but he's a, a three star um, composite player. Defensive yeah. tackle really gone under the radar a little bit there. Um, I like Jackson and I like all their defensive linemen that they signed in 2020. Jalen Smith as well, three-star defensive tackle from North Carolina. Um, Jason Jones is a four-star, so I won't count him. But Braden Swinson's another one that that showed up to Oregon early and certainly looks the part. Yeah. Um, I I I really think they've they've done a really good job of finding some guys that have really high ceilings and low floors or high floors, I should say. Uh, for three-star prospects. And look, three-star players can be good recruits. They can be good players. And it's those are the guys that just need a little bit of development to reach their full potential. And they could grow real quickly into high-impact players, the college level, and then eventually make it to the NFL. And we've seen it in the NFL draft this, you know, two weeks ago with Oregon. Herbert was a three-star. Shane Lemieux was a three-star. Jake Hansen was a three-star. Troy Dye was a three-star. Um, we saw uh, Throckmorton and Breland all sign contracts after going undrafted. Those guys were three-star players as well. So Oregon has a good track record of developing their three-star players into four, four and five-star players down the road. And so I, I, I like this group. Um, real quick to answer your question of how things change down, you know, moving forward. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to change much. Um, I, Oregon's operating at a pretty high clip right now, and they've got a, a well-oiled machine that's clicking at a high rate right now from a recruiting standpoint, and things are successful. I mean, they've signed two straight years, the number one recruit recruiting class in the country, um, or, excuse me, number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. So there's not much really to change. It's, there's some tweaking, but no no overhauls and, and whatnot. Dante Williams leaving to USC is going to hurt in some capacity. Uh, but Oregon has safeguards 
to protect themselves for any coach that leaves. And that's why every staff member is so heavily involved and so many guys recruiting because they want to have some built-in ties um, with multiple guys if an assistant coach leaves. Uh, and that's why I've always said that if the only way Oregon gets hurt from a recruiting perspective is if they see a mass exodus of their staff members leave in one year, because then, you know, you lose a lot of guys that have hands in a lot of recruits. Whereas if one coach or two coaches leave, you still have seven, nine more players or nine more coaches on staff that are involved and active in a recruiting uh, of prospects from that year. Now, real quick, I want to flip this question to you, Ooh. Eric, and say, let's pick the three-star or a four-star guy that registered last year from the 19 class that you think will become a will, be, will become a, a. I'm not going to say a star player, but he's going to be a contributor, whether that's as a starter, as a special team star, or a rotation guy off the bench during the 2020 season. So 2020, so we're doing it immediately. Yes, they have to be 19. They have to be a member of the 2019 class. Okay. So like that eliminates like a Kayvon, a Michael, right? Uh, Una Pittman, because these guys played. And we're saying three or four stars. Are we saying both? Sure. You can, okay. you can say a three or a four. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good question. I, I think guys that redshirted last year that I'm excited to see. I think both of the receivers, J.R. Waters and Lance Willhoyd, um Will Hoyt being a four-star, Waters a three-star, are, are guys I'm excited to see compete. I'm not sure I expect either of them to to really be huge contributors immediately. Maybe one of them will, but I look at the way the roster pans out and say that's going to be kind of tough. But I think two names that stood out, and especially in spring, and these are both three-star recruits, uh, Isaac Townsend and Trevin Maai off the edge. Those guys are running with the second team after redshirting as three-star recruits um, in 2019, and both of those guys – put on a ton of weight. Their bodies look completely different. They move differently. Um, I was really impressed with my, when I spoke with both players, this is the first time I think I'd spoke with either of them since they arrived on campus. I know I spoke with them both as recruits, but I was impressed with the way they kind of are handling things, with the way they were looking at things. I think they're going to be players that are motivated and, and focused and know how to do things the right way. And Oregon needs some edge guys, to be frank. I mean, they, for, They've got some highly regarded players in Kayvon, in Mace, in Adrian Jackson, but they need some help with depth. And I think those two guys are players that, that stand out to me. And if I'm mentioning one more, it's probably Triquez Bridges. Um, I don't know if it's immediately again, but he's because he's playing corner and there's a huge group of guys in front of him. But I think he's someone that down the line it has a lot of potential and could be really intriguing to see how he turns out. And I guess we should just, maybe I'm running through everybody on this roster here, Matt, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm also reminded of the fact that they need some help at nose guard on the interior defensive line. I'm thinking, well, Keon Ware-Hudson, Christian Williams, and Suave Poti are all three guys who redshirted last year who could fill in there. Um, I think Ware-Hudson in particular was, was somebody that we were excited about. He has certainly the build and the body type to play nose tackle. He could be potentially that kind of long. I know mean, we talked about it on Monday about who some of the candidates are to fill in for Jordan Scott after this season, and then following Popo Amabi likely being the starter in 2021, I think where Hudson is certainly one of those names that belongs near the top of that sort of a list. I know a couple of these guys played and will be sophomores next season, Jamal Hill and DJ James. Yeah. But I I think the trio of Triquez Bridges, Jamal Hill, and DJ James are going to be some – they are, they will be underappreciated for what they will provide for Oregon secondary next season because 
look, playing time is going to be really hard to get when you have Javon Holland, who's a top 10 player in Mel Kuyper's draft board for the 2020 draft. You've got Lenore and Graham who are, you know, second or third round guys. Michael Wright. You've also got, um, Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett, Verone McKinley. And by the way, five star Dante Manning is being added to the, to the group as well. So there's, there's a ton of guys here, but I, I really think that a big reason why Oregon is in a, a position of strength short term and long term at the cornerback and safety positions is because of Triquez Bridges, Jamal Hill, and DJ James. Those three guys, I feel like, would have had significantly bigger roles at Oregon two years ago, four years ago, six years ago, because the depth at Oregon in 2020 and during the 2019 season is maybe as good as we've ever seen it. And I think these guys would have, they would for sure would have, would have been bigger names on special teams and in the second unit for, um, you know, defensive back positions. But I, I just really think they're going to sit for a couple of years and play behind some really, some NFL players for two or three years and really develop. And when those guys move on, Oregon will be in a really good spot. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Steve Stevens, who was a U.S. Army All-American, you know, coming out of high school and he can't see the field because it's so stacked. So I, I, I really think those three guys, Bridges, Hill and James, one of those guys, I'm I'm fairly confident, will emerge as an all Pac-12 caliber player once he gets his playing time, and the other two will, will be really good corners or really good defensive backs uh, for a really good defense. You know, Matt, you can't say we're not thorough. I just was looking through here. I think there are eight three-star recruits in 2019 who redshirted, and I think we named seven of them as possible players who can <laughs> impact. So, so basically, we like everyone. <laughs> There's very few players we didn't mention. So. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. I think, look, I've gotten a couple of ideas. I know Eric has gotten at least one as well from this show from submit, from submitted questions for future content. Um, I'm penciling in right now next week. We will do an ultimate what if Oregon landed blank player for men's basketball and men's and also football. Um, and just kind of the impacts things could have had. And we'll, we'll caveat with the fact that since we've covered the team and you and I, uh, I've covered Oregon since 2009 from, for Duck Territory. Uh, you've worked previously for EDUC a little bit before you came over to Duck Territory. So you, you've got over eight years of experience, nine, seven years of experience covering this team as well. So, I think there's going to be a lot of options, and I think that's going to be a really good, really good podcast to dive into down the road. And uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this one. Hopefully, you guys enjoy that one. We've got another uh, discussion coming up on Friday, uh, centered around all the sports as well. So stick with us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. And for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prame. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made it PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.